Hey guys, welcome back to Uncommon Sense. So happy January 6th. This is the anniversary of, surprise, January 6th. It is the anniversary of January 6th on January 6th. And I am going to be interviewing a J6er on today's episode. I'm really excited about it because I feel like a lot of people don't have the real story. Like all of these news channels are talking about, oh, well, this is what happened on January 6th. This is what happened on January 6th. And everybody's telling this story. um, But these are people who weren't there. And so I think it's really important to hear from the people who were actually there. And so that is why I have decided to interview Carrie Baxter Donovan, who is an actual J6er. She was actually there when it happened. I've told you guys my story a little bit about what happened on January 6th. I, you know, was on the roof of my building in Washington, D.C. I could see from afar what was going on. I was working that day. I was looking from my right to my right. I could see, you know, what was actually happening at the Capitol building to my left. I could see how the news was portraying it. And I'm going to talk about that a little bit more on this episode and how um, different those were. Um, But I really wanted to have an actual J6R talk on January 6th to you guys about what actually happened. And so that is why I have decided to interview Carrie. So she was actually there. She also has been talking to a lot of other J6ers and covering this story for a very long time. Um, And I think, again, that it's just really important that everybody, you know, turn more to this independent journalism and you know, the people who actually care about these stories, um, you know, and how they're getting these stories out. We need to all be supporting that. Um, so every, I know, you know, before we get into everything, I just want to say, I know that everybody has like their own opinions about January 6th, but I feel like a lot of those opinions are uneducated because I feel like a lot of those opinions are based on, you know, not really the facts. And, um, I just feel like you can't have like an educated opinion on January 6th until you've heard, from an actual J6er. Like, I feel like that's kind of, you know, that makes sense in my brain. So, but I do want to say that, you know, I understand that it's a very controversial day. I understand that the day was both right and wrong. I understand that, you know, everybody has their own feelings about it. My feelings are that it was predominantly right. Okay. Those are my official opinions is that the day was right. Um, Just because I know how Washington DC works. I know that it's like the Truman show. I know that it's like a movie set um, and that they, you know, call their friends over at the news station to come record them playing their part. I just know how this city runs. So with that said, you know, everybody is entitled to their own opinions. But today's not really about um, everybody else's opinions. Today is about Carrie's firsthand experience. But before we get into that, I do have to tell you guys about the Bible study by the brand Sunday. You guys have heard me talk about this before, but it is a very good Bible study. And I know that everybody's feeling a little bit stressed. And I've been telling you guys that reading your Bible is going to be the most comforting thing that you can do during these stressful times. I stand by that. I stand by that every single episode. And I think that the Brand Sunday's Bible study will really help you get through it, keep you on track, and keep you engaged. So if y'all want to check that out, I will have a link below for you to access that. And let me know what you think if you check it out.
So thank you so much for coming on this show, Carrie. I'm really excited to talk to you about what, you know, exactly went down on January 6th. As somebody who was there, you personally, you know, experienced all of this actually at the Capitol building when this was all going down January 6th, 2021. Um, and so I'm really excited to get your firsthand experience and for everybody else to hear from you. Thank you so much for coming on. And before we get into everything, can you just let everybody know a little bit about who you are and what you do? Sure. And thanks so much for giving me this opportunity. I, I'm really excited to talk to you and your audience. So my name is Carrie Donovan, Carrie Baxter Donovan, and I've been a journalist on a number of platforms. Um, mostly when I'm telling you this story, I'm going to make reference to uh, writing for David Harris Jr. Um, he's since taken his sights down to concentrate on another, another form of business because he was really heavily getting censored. Numbers were down, but I was on um, David Harris Jr., djhjmedia.com at the time. People can probably go and dig stuff up in the Wayback Machine. Um, but I currently write for Republic Brief, uh, National File, uh, Frontline America, and uh, Patriot Sports Now. And um, I'm starting up some other pro projects hopefully with Coy Griffin to talk more about the January 6th. So that's pretty much where people can find me. I'm on Twitter at say Rosa. If they want to, if I'm referencing tweets, I've tried to pull some up to the top so people can go and look and see, um, at say Rosa, S A O R S A 1776. And on Twitter would be where most of those January 6th, um, 2021 20, tweets would be awesome. Well, I definitely recommend that everybody follow Carrie if you're not already. And I just love that you're covering this story from really two angles because you, you know, were there when it happened. You're also interviewing other people who were there to get their experiences. Um, and I really love that you're telling their story because so many people aren't telling this story. Like, I mean, I was talking about it on the intro, but you know, a lot of the news organizations are just not interested in hearing y'all's story. And you know, you have to ask the question, why? Is it because they don't want to hear your story? And why would that be the case unless, you know, they were afraid of what you guys were going to say? Um, I have a lot of questions to kind of run through, but I just want to start with, uh, you know, the beginning of the day for you and what that sort of looked like. So can you walk us through that a little bit? Sure. And, and I just wanted to preface too by saying that I have a lot of experience with community organizing. I had worked for a Democratic congressman, Jesse Jackson, Rainbow Push, way back in the day, and I got red pilled about 1991. So I have a lot of experience with like what is, you know, leftist tactics and things like that. So on January 6th, I walked over to the Capitol and I was on, I always get the East and the West confused. I was on the smaller side, not the lawn where all of the action happened. I was on, I, I call it the back end of the building. I walked from my little house that I had rented and I walked over and immediately when I came upon the scene there, there was a lot of loud music playing. We're not going to take it anymore. But also there was a group of people who were playing Waymaker over and over and over and over again as a group of Christians. And so the first people who I, um, inter who I came into contact with was a group of Christians who had packed up their stuff and they had left and I got their information because I said oh hey what's going on you know hello whatever got some contact information from the uh, pastor his wife and his daughter who had been praying at the Capitol for uh, two months every Saturday mm -hmm. they'd driven from Charlotte to go pray so I talked to them for a little bit but I, I kind of got my bearings and I saw what was going on and at that time people were just sort of generally mingling around there were hundreds of people there and that was probably about 
nine thirty or ten o'clock in the morning, and so people were mingling around. It was freezing cold. Uh, Waymaker was playing over here. We're not going to take it anymore. It was blaring, blaring. There were guys who were on bullhorns who were talking, trying to get the crowd agitated. I could tell they were trying to get the crowd agitated, and. There were groups of people who were who were sitting up high on a, on a, a like a it's not a pile of rocks but it was a rock you know barrier of some sort with like a sign on it a permanent mm-hmm. thing that was there and they were sitting up there on high and these guys in the bullhorns were saying we're gonna go in we're gonna go in and they were talking about I know I now know I couldn't really figure out what they were talking about where are we gonna go in we're gonna go in we're gonna go in and um, they were saying listen we have. We've got people inside who are going to give us tours. We, they want us to come into the building. And there were people on this big rock structure who were saying, don't go in. It's a trap. And there was this conversation going back and forth between the two. And these guys were saying, no, we want to go in. It's all right. We want to go in. Um, and so I knew immediately something is not right here. There's, mm-hmm. This is not linear. <laughs> okay, yeah. I don't know what's going on. This is not like a typical Trump rally. It's not like a typical gathering of Republicans. Mm-hmm. And so um, that went on for a little while. Within 15 or 20 minutes of me being there and walking around, all of a sudden, and, and the whole time there's Capitol Police people in police uniforms milling all around, okay? There were no barricades set up anywhere. There were people who were mingling on the Brickton area that's down there by the steps, people going in and out in cars. There were all kinds of things. Nobody seemed concerned whatsoever about what was going on. And then all of a sudden, these people with these bicycle racks start, start lining up bicycle racks. Okay, and I'm thinking to myself, what's going on? And the, oh, we're, we have to prevent people from coming in. Okay, and then some other people in like you know regular clothes are helping to line up. Is it's almost as if they heard this conversation? We have to go in. No, it's a trap. Oh, we have to go in. No, it's a trap. And the, as that's happening, they're lining up this line of bicycle racks, which was absolutely ridiculous because. The, that the whole capital has been barricaded. We call them the barricades. Remember mm-hmm. with Obama, it, there's all kinds of barricades all over the place. But it had it would almost had been opened up and it was free, and people were mingling around like we haven't seen this happen for a long time. And then they come in with these bicycle racks. So. It was like a setup on a movie set. Yeah, and that's what I say all the time when people are like, how's DC? What's it like? I'm like, it's like a movie set. It's like they set these things up and they present this story to you guys that is totally not true. Like most of the time, it's not true and it is exactly like a movie set. So many things are, but especially January 6th, it was definitely like a movie set. Right, right. And so they're pretending like they're trying to set up a barrier to prevent people from coming in. And the police officers were pretending like, we're going to put these up and we're you're not going to let people in except not everyone in the crowd had gotten the message that you weren't allowed to all of a sudden you weren't allowed to come in so the whole thing was like what how are you communicating to the people that now and then they go heave like ho pretend and they're kind of this like little struggle and then all of a sudden they just literally just like open the open the bike racks and go okay you know go ahead we got that shot go ahead it's good on to the next shot and i have a photo there on my twitter where you see people are just walking just normally and the, the police officers are just standing right there. No one is saying, no, stop, don't go. There's no sign anywhere that says, no, stop, don't go. 
There's no indication at all. And the people had already been over there. So the people were moving around in general in that whole space all over the for hours by the time I got there. So that felt very set up. And then all of a sudden, they filled the whole stairs up and a series of things happened then, which just very much felt like a movie set. And I had... I say it was the hand of God on my shoulder that said, do not go any further. I went to a point, and I'm going to say it was like 50 feet away from the bottom of the stairs. And I said, I'm not going any further. And I turned around, and I went back toward the street or toward the, the park area at that point. Um, and I started talking to people. And I remained in that area then on and off for six hours, mm-hmm. going from the other side of the building all the way around, up closer to the stairs. I never went up one stair or into the building. I did have someone who had a pitchfork, a literal pitchfork, an actual pitchfork, okay, um, who said, uh, let's go into the building and took my arm and started walking along. What? Yeah, so that happened as well. So, um, and I went, uh, no, I don't think so. I'm going to go on to the other side of the building and go interview people. So that, the picture of that guy is also on my uh, Twitter account uh, and on one of the tweets that I posted today. So um, it was very, it, it sounded like it was very chaotic, except what it really was happening the best way that I can describe it is it was pockets of staged chaos mm-hmm. intermingled with people just milling around, like as if they were just, you know, socializing with people. Yeah. There was no threat. There was no urgency. There was no one telling us to leave. Nothing. It was just like sort of a social event, if that makes any sense. But there was little staged areas of of what seemed to be chaos and the guy with the horns, I saw him come in and out a couple of times and I'm like, what in the world? It just felt like it it really felt very orchestrated. Yeah. And I agree with you. I think that's a very good way of putting it, you know, just these pockets of staged chaos. I mean, that is, um, and I didn't know how to articulate it because I saw, I mean, I was on the roof of my building in Washington, DC working that day. And I remember looking to my right, um, and looking at the Capitol building and just seeing, you know, relatively, it was just very peaceful. I don't even remember seeing any violence. I just saw people standing outside of the Capitol building. That's like literally what I remember seeing. But then I remember looking to my left onto the TV screen on the roof of my building and, you know, CNN was portraying it as this hellscape uh, thing where I could see like the police and there was like fog or something, you know, like smoke or something. And these police like pushing back against people with these bike racks that you had mentioned earlier. Um, You know, it looks like an actual like revolt on my TV screen. But then I look back over to the right um, at the Capitol building and I see that people are just standing on the steps and I was so confused. Um, And of course, you know, 94% of Washington, D.C. is Democrat. So all the people that live in my building are Democrats. Um, And I I have a funny conversation that I had on the roof with someone. They were like, somebody in here is a Trump supporter because we saw a Trump supporter sticker on a Trump Trump car in the garage. And I was like, oh my gosh, I wonder who it could be. It was me. Um, But anyway, um, yeah, so I was like looking back and forth and I was just like, okay, so this is not 
adding up. But since, you know, 94% of Washington, D.C. is Democrat, like whenever I would question the people on the roof who were also on the roof watching it, you know, happen. And they they didn't even think it was weird because they're Democrats, I guess. They just, you know, buy into the narrative. And I did notice that they were all just watching the TV. Very few of them were actually looking over at what was happening at the Capitol building. And I think that speaks to just, you know, um, the brainwashing of the television and the news stations and how people, you know, even if it's right there in front of you, <laughs> like all you have to do is look to the right. You can see that it's like peaceful, but you know, even if it's right in front of you, people still choose the propaganda. Um, but I remember asking them, you know, well, why wasn't Mayor Bowser more prepared for this? Like if, you know, they knew that all these Trump supporters were coming, they genuinely felt like they were dangerous and something like this could happen. Then why didn't they, you know, secure the Capitol building better and like secure everything better if they were genuinely like afraid of that. But of course that was just a question that the Democrats on the roof of my building didn't want to answer or even discuss. So that was the end of that discussion. Um, any or lack thereof, there was no discussion. It was literally, I was just shut down. But anyway, I just wanted to ask you, um, you know, when you're talking about these, um, you know, little clusters of staged chaos, I mean, was this happening? Were those little clusters right in front of where CNN and these other, you know, news stations were, um, you know, were, was it, con- were they conveniently located where CNN and MSNBC and all these others could just, you know, conveniently record it and send those little, you know, stage chaos moments out to the masses? Absolutely. Absolutely. They were. And so I, as an independent journalist, I was walking around and talking to the people who were just sort of sitting and having a picnic. Um, they would go and stand over. There was a grid where warm air would come up because it was just freezing. Um, and then there was a group of Christians who just kept playing that Waymaker and they kept singing. And to me, that was a big deal because I'm like, they're literally on the stairs. Okay. There was hundreds of them at a time just singing. There's a little video clip of that singing Waymaker. Um, and over and over, no one told them to leave and get off those stairs. They were there for hours on end. And that was in between the staged chaos. Um, there were a number of things that were like, okay, there's this, somebody had pulled out a, um, a coat rack, for example. And that was, that ended up to be a big story because they had apparently taken it from Nancy Pelosi's room or something. Mm -hmm. And it was like, it's just sitting there. Who brought that there? It was like, I'll tell you what it felt like. It felt like someone pulled out a prop, a movie prop and went, okay, now it's time to do the, do the thing with the uh, coat rack. Yeah. Like a, like a movie script. Yeah. And it it was very un, and I tweeted about this on the six and I said, it was very uncustomary for Trump supporters to behave that way. Now, let's say, okay, they were very mad. They were intentionally playing this song over and over very loudly on a, on a loop. We're not going to take it anymore to try to end people on the bullhorns trying to agitate people. But you still are not going to get a Trump supporter in general to be, like, violent. Because yeah. nobody that I know went there to be violent. They went there to watch what they thought was history and just to show their support of President Trump and of, the, the in general, the movement, right? Mm-hmm. So um, the people who were there, there were definitely people who were there intentionally to be agitated, and I'll tell you why I know that, too, is a couple of them didn't have shirts on. 
So those people were not spending time outside, in other words, because it was freezing cold. Shuffled in and out, then they'd get in a car and go away, then they'd come back and they'd go, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, someone got shot. Go down, go back into a car and get driven away again. And it was like, uh, okay, so he had his role, he came in, and it was shirtless, by the way. Like, what is the thing with the shirtless? The other thing is, in general... The people who were the agitators in their Trump gear, like their brand new hats, right? Yeah. <laughs> sort of tell, like, you don't look like anybody I've been looking at from Trump rallies for a long time. So, yeah, there were people who were intentionally trying to aggravate Trump supporters, and they weren't taking the bait most of them from what I saw. Yeah. And I definitely noticed that as well. It just seemed like there was a very distinct split between, you know, actual Trump supporters and then these other crazy, you know, bullhorn shirtless, like paint on your chest dudes who looked like they belonged at some football game. Um, you know, but it, it definitely was like this distinct split. And I definitely noticed that when I was watching, you know, to the left, watching the TV and seeing the coverage of it. Um, I was just like, who are those guys? Like, because like you were saying, I think when you are a Trump supporter, you recognize other Trump supporters. And when you're not, it's easy to be fooled. Uh, the FBI dressed up as Trump supporters and trotted around the National Mall relatively recently. And they're matching corduroys and they're matching masks, which, you know, Trump supporters probably wouldn't have been wearing. Um, but the masses eat it up like candy. And I just wanted to ask you, though, how many of the, you know, staged agitator, like Trump pretender supporter people do you think that there were so on my side of the building i'm going to stick to where i spent most of my time which was again on that i, I don't know if it, i should have looked it up before i got on i feel so silly but this the side that was not the long lawn where a lot of the action was going on i didn't even know that that stuff was going on for months later but let's say just on my side i would say at least 50 to 60 percent of the people who were on that side and there were hundreds of people there were not authentic trump supporters wow that's a lot more than i thought like i i that's but i wasn't there you know i was on the roof of my building but that you know it makes sense if they're gonna if they're really going to go for this you know it makes sense that they'd want to get you know as many fake trump supporters to agitate everybody as as physically possible but my question i mean i just want to go back to this because like i don't understand how mayor bowser was not more prepared for this and that was the conversation i kept trying to have with the people on my roof but again 94 percent democrat in washington dc and they were just like not having the conversation um they just you know chalked it up as oh those are just crazy trump supporters so mission accomplished dems you got everybody to just buy your fanatical story that you decided to create out of thin air um you know and and hearing from you you know actually being there i definitely believe that even more i already thought it was like a weird nonsensical day you know that things just weren't adding up but now i definitely you know i'm getting a clearer picture of it and i hope that my listeners are as well um but we were i mean i was asking them like why wasn't mayor bowser more prepared if they were genuinely afraid that these people were going to be dangerous and they were afraid for their safety and that trump supporters are violent then why weren't they prepared more to you know protect the capitol building there were no barricades they didn't try to you know stop anything so i'm just wondering why you know why not why not if you really are afraid it just doesn't add up so much just does not add up it like doesn't add up and she had been patrolling us all of december and all of january exactly she had been patrolling us she had shut everything down so that we couldn't even get something to eat or, uh, or a cup of water 
for the other, remember, because there were the other gatherings that had happened in December, I think January 6th was the fourth or the fifth time I had been to D.C. in two months to go to some sort of um, rally. And every time it was like get one of these frozen pretzels and buy a $5 bottle of water because everything around was closed down. Yeah. So that was one thing. Another thing is, let's ask the question. We knew that there wasn't going to be an inauguration. It had already been it had already been announced that there would be no inauguration. And there was even some speculation or some discussion. I think it was with uh, Alex Jones. Somebody had said, look, they took the entire scaffolding down and it was like a month before. Why were those scaffoldings up again? Why were there packages of chairs all over the lawn that were wrapped up as if as if somebody had just been there setting up for the inauguration that was never going to happen? That's what all of those scaffoldings were. And then my question is, there were machines there, big, heavy lifting machines. Like I call them cherry pickers. But to obviously to construct those scaffoldings, the keys were in the ignition. There's a video on my... Um, on my Twitter that shows people riding it up and down. I remember a woman who had come over and she said, I've lived in this area for 30 years and come up and down this road and no one has ever been on that level of the Capitol ever before. How would they have possibly gotten up there? Like, well, because intentionally that's what it felt like. It felt like somebody had a meeting and said, how does this movie set going to look? Okay, let's put up some scaffoldings. Okay, let's put up a machine so that they can get up there. Okay, let's do this. Let's do that. And they set it all up perfectly because there was no concern whatsoever for safety. I have a picture of a man walking around with a pitchfork, and I asked him, and I wrote about it. I said, why are the police letting you walk around with a pitchfork? And they said, oh, they think it's funny. It's so weird. It's just so freaking weird weird to me um you know the horn man like the man walking around with the bull horns on his head or whatever the heck he was up to i mean there were there was just a bunch of weird things happening that day uh i don't know about you but i've never seen like a bullhorn man you know trotting around a trump rally like i've never seen that before um it just goes back to what we were talking about like this definitive split between and you could tell you know which were the real trump supporters and which were these like actors um, and these props. And it really is just like a movie set in Washington, D.C. And I say that all the time to my friends and family. They're like, what's it like? I'm like, oh, it's like, you know, it's like Hollywood. It's kind of like, you know, this is where we're going to film this scene. This is where we're going to film this scene. Um, and they bring things in and they prop it up and the, you know, the media comes and then they go and then everybody, you know, the props go, the people go, the actors go, and then everybody goes about their day. It's just like such a wild... Uh, uh, scenario in Washington, D.C. I never, I mean, I kind of knew that it was like this, but after you've lived here for so long, it's kind of like, oh, okay, so this is just business as, as usual, I guess. Um, and I tweeted the other day, you know, like, after you've been here so long, it's kind of like, what is true? You know, what is true? Is anything true? Like, is anything that they've been telling us true? They just lie so much, which is why, you know, none of the mainstream legacy media wants to talk to you guys, the people who were actually there. You're the last people they would want to talk to because you guys know the truth and because you were there. Like, of course, you know what happened because you saw it, um, you know, and they can't have you guys come on because, you know, y'all would disrupt their narrative that they're telling everybody that Trump supporters are violent and look what they have done. Um, you know, I think that that's exactly why they just won't have y'all on. And I'm so glad again to have you on the show today. But it is it is why they won't have you on on the legacy media shows. And I think I mean, I hope that 
everybody knows that. There's there's a concerted effort to label people like me and anyone who wants to tell the truth as an extremist. We could be an anti-Semite extremist. We could be an Oath Keeper extremist. We could be a Proud Boy extremist. We could be an extremist extremist, right? So that no one can ever listen to our story. And just like David Sumrall says all of the time from StopHate.com, he really has done a tremendous amount of analyzing the film, uh, the films of that day. And he's you, you got to check his site out and check out what he's doing. But like he says, they're trying to rewrite history because once they can rewrite the history and put like a stamp on this, that forever in a day, you're never going to be able to tell anybody that's not what happened. And I, you almost walked away from it. I know I did. I should say I walked away from it feeling like I feel like I'm crazy that I did just saw this whole thing happen that no one is going to believe happened. And there were a million people there. Yeah. A million people, all of us who were there know, like it didn't go down the way that you're being told that it went down. And isn't that, and isn't the real shame that you that people who haven't been there have been led to not trust the people who have to, to be angry with us to, you know, that not that you're angry, but that we're getting this treatment. Like you guys are the problem. It's like, no, the government is the problem. The government is always the problem. <laughs> The, the, the administrative state who wants to keep their big jobs is a problem. The centralized government is a problem. Um, but yeah, that's so. That's exactly. We are not allowed to tell our stories, and if we do, it's kind of like we're chased around by very weird people and threatened all the time. Yeah, and it's just very interesting to me that that's how people have decided to respond to all of this. You know, I mean, it's just kind of wild. I mean, I know that that's the power of the media and the power of the narrative and the power of marketing. I work in PR. I've told you guys that a million times. But, you know, it's like I know that there's strength in that. And that's, you know, fine, good and dandy. But don't lie to people. And that is what the legacy media always is doing. Um, and like you were talking about, you know, it really is like a movie set. And I just want to drive that point home. But it's interesting how so many people, how many American citizens in the country will just absorb, you know, the legacy media's narrative that obviously they profit from telling you guys, um, you know, a certain, a certain narrative. They profit from that synergy, government, big corporations, think, think bigger, you guys. Um, but you know, it's just interesting how, you know, Americans will not believe their fellow countrymen over, you know, the legacy media. And it's, it's even funnier because it's the Marxist, communist, socialists who are always like, oh, we hate big, uh, like, corporations and big, um, they love big government. That's the irony because big government, you know, works with the big corporations. But anyway, um, you know, it's just interesting that they won't go to the source of anything to figure out, oh, okay, so this is what happened that day. You know what happened that day. But it is the power of the media and how many people just, you know, believe that when, again, you know, they're not featuring you guys on these stories. You guys who were there, they're not featuring you guys. And just, you know, the illogical lunacy of this and how people just won't listen to the source of the information is just, you know, bewildering to me. But, um, you know, and it makes me wonder, like, are the Democrats all just stupid? Like, are all the people who are just buying this narrative stupid? Or are they actually evil? You know, which which is it? And so the only thing that I can deduce is that they're evil at the top, you know, on the left, liberal side of things. And then they're just plain stupid at the bottom and in the middle scared they're scared because i think i think a number of people are scared because if if, if you're not used to standing up to bullies 
it's very scary. We're supposed to, we're a little bit soft or Americans. We have very lovely, beautiful, pampered lives. Right. And it's like, we learn to live in peace and coexist. And we also try to avoid conflict and, you know, take care of our families and all of that kind of stuff. So some of it is some people have to, because they really cannot afford to have the weight of the government or the weight of the media come after them to cancel their lives and cancel their prosperity. If you're someone like me, I've been standing up to bullies, you know, since I was born. Unfortunately, that's the way I was designed. <laughs> Same. It's more natural, right? Right. So, you know, it's like to me, it's more natural to stand up and be like, no, it didn't happen that way and pay the consequences, which is to be marginalized, discredited, canceled, all of those things. But I think a lot of people are scared, but some of them, of course, are evil and some of them, of course, are stupid. But I think in general, most people who are being quiet about it are scared. And on one hand, I say you have to stand up for yourself or one day it's going to be you in some big, you know, political theater, kabuki theater setup. It's going to be you. Yeah. A hoax against you and your family if you don't stand up now. But then again, I also understand there are some people who cannot afford to be canceled. That's where we are in America today, that we literally, and you know this, and everybody else who's out there knows this, that we're literally in a place where we have to say, we're going to have to fight propaganda. We're going to have to fight, right? We're going to have to fight the government, yeah. the media, and all of their combined forces Yeah, to keep us quiet. That's where we are in America today. Yeah, it is. And I've been telling people, and they say that I'm exaggerating or I'm being dramatic or I'm just, you know, I don't know. They, they say a lot of things about me these days. But I have been telling people we are very quickly turning into China. And once that happens, there is no getting out. You will not have access to, you know, the information. You will only have access to the information. Information they want you to have to create a narrative that they want you to believe so that you don't, um, you know, that you don't kick back, you know, or you're not like an untamed horse and you just go along with everything uh, that they want you to do. And it's very, very scary. And I don't think people take it seriously or understand how easily, you know, um, the government, I mean, it seems like they're having a very easy time doing it because nobody is pushing back and saying very few people, you and I, other people, but, you know, the majority of people are not pushing back. And I do think it is because like you were saying, they are afraid. I understand being afraid. And, you know, you know, a lot of the companies and schools will be like, Oh, you have the wrong opinion. Take your kid home. You know, you can't go to the school anymore or, Oh, you have this opinion. We don't want you working here anymore. So I understand that there's like a livelihood, you know, reason reasoning for why people would, you know, just, it's easier to go along with what people want you to believe, but people need to understand that there's a very hefty price for that. And, um, you know, you just don't want to get to this place where you can't ask the real questions and get the real answers and, you know, turn truth into this subjective thing that, oh, oh, here's my truth. Here's your truth. And everything is, is just true. And then nothing is true. And um, just the access to the real information and really going to the sources of that, which again, is you guys who were there when this was all going down. And it's shocking to me that more Democrats didn't just jump to switch parties when the Twitter files came out. I've been covering that on this podcast, um, you know, going through all of the parts of that. And I know sometimes it's a lot to go through and people are like, you know, snoozing a little bit on that, but you can't because it's very, very important. And it's important to know that the government is capable and willing to work with big tech to censor the voices of the citizens. And that is what they do in communist nations. And that is what they are doing here. But I was very shocked that more Democrats weren't, you know, abandoning the liberal ship over that. But I 
just feel like on the left, you know, they don't they don't care when they see this stuff come out because they genuinely do not have consciences. Like I keep saying it, but it feels like I am trying to shake awake the consciences, um, consciences of like of the American public. And I'm really, and I really feel very strongly that that is a very accurate description of what I feel like I'm trying to do because, um, it's a problem when people don't care about morality and truth, objective truth. And, um, you know, facts like that, it it becomes a real problem for everybody. And, um, you know, but the left, they're just, they're just immoral really. And if you've, I have a number of friends who are originally from China and who they, they and their families lived through the whole entire um, revolution in China. And one woman in particular, her uncle's back was broken and he was made to march through, you know, that's the Ministry of Truth, march around in the neighborhood with a sign on his back because he was a person. And I have so much compassion for this dude because it's like he was the person who's like, I can't stop telling the truth. Because there are people like you and me and this guy, right, and others who are out there now who literally cannot turn their back on America and liberty and freedom and what we've achieved historically, and they can't stop. Yeah. That's supposed to be okay, and they're supposed to be safe in this country. And so if that goes away, if those people are made, if we're made to march through, you know, the, our neighborhoods with our broken backs and signs on our back and people are looking out the window at like, I gave up on everything so that I could live like this. Yeah. So to us, it's like, we, we know we'd rather at least give it a try and fight for our fight for, our, you know, defend our freedom and fight for our country that way. than live in those conditions but it's coming because if you ask people back then in china did you think it was going to happen they're not going to go oh yes we knew we woke up and we had a plan and everyone knew that it was going to happen it's like they all didn't think it was going to happen either yeah and that's a really good point i mean people like you and i know that it's happening i think a lot of people don't even want to think about it getting to that place but i also think that a lot of people just don't like they genuinely don't have a problem with it going to that because they have been brainwashed into thinking it's an okay thing like they've been brainwashed into to thinking that communism is a good thing. They don't question it. They don't even research it. They don't know the history about how it has failed every single time it's been tried. They don't know that over 100 million people have died from this ideology. They do not understand, you know, Mao's cultural revolution or any of that. I have um, interviewed actually somebody, um, and that's an editing right now just for my listeners to know, um, about a woman who, I interviewed a woman who is from China. She went through Mao's cultural revolution. She she like literally lived through that and she's going to tell us all about how terrible communism was for her in China um, and really go into detail about that and I, I really hope that you guys will listen to that when that will be out in a few weeks but um, you know I, I don't think that people understand like the severity of how terrible communism is frankly because they're just ignorant um, and they expose that every time anybody who's like oh yay I love communism I'm like okay ig- ignorant 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 you haven't researched it. Um, but you know, I also think that, and I talk about this a lot too, that people are addicted to social approval. I understand that, you know, sometimes people are just trying to protect, um, you know, their livelihoods and their, their place in society or whatever. And I get it to an extent, but at the same time, it's like, how can you live such an inauthentic life? Like you have to stand true to the truth. I would, I would say, I mean, I can't imagine not doing that. Um, but it, 
does seem like people have this addiction to social approval and um, it's just extremely toxic. And I talk about that in my book a lot that's coming out in April. But it's just, you know, it's just it's like people are so addicted to be like getting a pat on the back from the government. Good little citizen. Like you're you're doing a great job. You're letting us abuse you almost as like is kind of what it feels like from these um, leftists. Good point. Yeah. And also they may not have ever really understood the value of their freedom and liberty. Yeah. Unique in the world. It really was. Yeah. That gives me goosebumps was Ugh, past tense. No freedom. It could be that they never really understood. They just always were living a shallow life. So of course there's a combination of things that are going on. Um, and the January 6th story is a good a good place to start. So I'm so excited that you're doing that and listening to the people who have their stories, um, who want to tell their stories, who want to be brave enough to tell their stories. Because the other thing is then, well, where's the platform? Because they're the, even the conservative media, like you said, doesn't always want to hear it because they, they don't want to get deplatformed. And... Um, you know, you can get to plat. You can get to platform. I, I, I went through it with David Harris Jr. and saw he had a huge following. We were getting tons of traffic, and then the next thing you know, he literally cannot even basically make enough money to pay for the website. And two years later. <laughs> you guys so since i am going on and on and on on this episode and because carrie's story is so fascinating and getting this firsthand experience you know from somebody who was actually there is so fascinating and interesting we are actually going to be doing this um interview in a two-part uh two-part little series because um we have a really long interview and so this is actually just the halfway point of my interview with carrie and so we're going to stop it here and part two will follow after this so we carrie and i will see you guys back here on that episode not this this one the next one the next one that comes after this